video, we're in trouble. Hey, good evening. Good to see you guys on a nice summer evening. 80 some odd degrees today, all right? 83. It hit 83 today. All right. Answer to prayer. Summer's here. Hey, we're, uh, we are in a section that's dealing with prayer for spiritual wisdom. We've, we need that. We need that. We need, uh, we need to know the Father of glory. And that's uh, some of uh, what's in this section. It, when we've looked at Ephesians so far, these truths are just so amazing and uh, magnificent. I think it's almost too magnificent to even describe. We have, have it put in our language to understand as much as we can, but to uh, take it to the point of what all it really is, it's beyond our imagination, isn't it? And, uh, but God has revealed... Uh, what he has for us, who he is, and it requires uh, us to be illumined by his spirit to be able to understand these things and see the powerfulness, the, the very magnitude of all the blessings that uh, have been given. So Paul is concerned that these Ephesian people here, that they would know what all it means in the sense of as much as they can, as far as the endless riches of God's graces are concerned, that they would know what those are to a degree. And this prayer is not only for them, but it's also for us, for all Christians for all time. As uh, Paul prayed that prayer, and, uh, and you know, it's a good prayer for uh, not only for us as individuals, but to be praying for other people, that uh, they would know what uh, the riches of the glory of God is. Quite incredible. So Paul's really anxious that uh, they would catch a little glimpse uh, of the views that he has had as he has gone up this great mountaintop and seen these fantastic uh, views and in, in the life that he has uh, walked in, in Christ and quite a panorama there that he uh, he has seen just stretched out before him. And he wants them to see the same thing that uh, that he has seen and more to see. There's you know more heights. Paul wasn't finished yet. And so uh, we'll continue to see great, glorious things from God. So that's why we don't stop as Christians. We continually uh, hear not to be just reminded, but to continually be going on in our, in our walk and seeing who God is, how great His glory is. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, uh, this evening, and thank You for Your Word. Again, You are a grand, glorious God, and thank You for giving us some of the views that uh, are just fantastic, just awesome as we take a look uh, and see who you are, a glimpse of your glory just by your word. We live by faith and and not by sight, but yet we realize these things are true. And they do make an effect on our lives, and uh, they are there to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Father of glory. The Father of glory. We have a Father of glory. Um... The prayer started in verse 15, and we're going to pick it up, I think, somewhere around in 16, somewhere maybe 17. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and we saw what faith was and the Lord was in Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. He would continually be praying. I constantly pray for you. How often did he say something like that? I'm continually praying for you making mention of you in my prayers. So as he was God-conscious, thinking God always, that's how what 
the idea of praying always is. He had these uh, churches and these people in his uh, mind and his heart and be praying for them. And it's kind of a general uh, gist here, and then he'll span out and give us a little bit more of the uh, description of that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. A lot of big words there, aren't there? Can't help but uh, kind of stop at each uh, phrase. He's making mention of uh, them in his prayers. And we'll move into 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, who, who do we pray to? Jesus gave us a good sample. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? Paul prays to God the Father. We need to be reminded of who we are speaking to when we go into prayer. You know, how great of a God it is. And we want to lay everything aside. Sometimes that's awfully hard to do. We have other thoughts in our mind and we go to the Lord and it's almost like we don't really have Him as the focus of the attention. You know, it might be ourselves, might be something else, but... When we're going to Him, we we want to realize uh, who we're going to and what we're what we're doing there. We're going to speak to the Father of Glory, the Father of Glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of Glory. We'll come to back to that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, He is the God of our Lord. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you say how. How is that? I thought Jesus Christ is God. And He is. But here, the Father of glory is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ as well as He is our God. And we'll go to some Scripture to to see that. In the Old Testament, when you would see the saints pray to God, how would they often pray to Him? He is known as the God of who? Abraham? Isaac, Jacob. Over and over and over, you see that, right? So, and, and that was to the God that was personal to them, that they knew. He was their God. And, and that was identifying who, who he was. Paul prays to, in this verse, to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to God based on the new covenant because of what Christ has done in the person of Christ. And God is actually, at the same time, not only our God, but He's the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's like saying, well, what does that mean? Well, in eternity past, if we can say that, God the Father was not necessarily the God of, of God the Son. And, but there is an eternal um, existence of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. But He wouldn't have been known in that sense, until he came to earth, and whenever he came here, as he played the role, or as he did the role that he was supposed to do, 
and of course as always being the eternal Son, but here on earth as He related, He took on flesh, and now He approached the Father in the sense that that's what He would call Him. When He prayed to Him, He would see Him as, as the Father. And so God became His God, as well as, you could say, He's our God. My God and your God. Turn to John 20:17. Have to back that one up because it does sound kind of strange if we hadn't come across those verses before. Jesus has uh, been resurrected, and I think this is the appearance to Mary Magdalene. And Jesus said to her, "Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God." I think that gives us great comfort as he's relating to us that we can associate to his Father uh, and he's, uh, at the same time, he is his God. He is his Father. God the Father is our Father. God the God, uh, God is our God. Uh, let's try another one. Uh, chapter 14. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Uh, The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. themselves. They're equal, but yet he was submitting to the Father. Of course, him being uh, the Son, or being Jesus, he is man, and at the same time being God, and it's because of Him taking on the flesh that we can relate to God the Father. That's the uh, the only way that we can we can get there. Um, look in Hebrews 10. I think we know this one. Kind of just what I stated there, but uh, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So we can go to the Father, go to the holiest because of the blood of Christ. We have access. And we know that. But it's we can't ever uh, forget the reason why we can we can go to the Father and talk to the Father, our Father who art in heaven, because of what Christ, who He is and what He did. We cannot know God without Christ, can we? So God is God of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He is our God. Now, what about the Father of glory? The Father of glory. You see any other places where God is known as the Father of the Father of Lights, or the Father of who Moses asked ah, ah. to show for God to show him His glory. Show him the glory, right? The Father of Glory. That's a matter of fact. That's that's a, uh, yeah, an excellent passage. Uh, well, I don't have it down there, but that's uh, that's one of them that I was going to put down. And I don't think I did. Um, and even before that. If, Now, in Exodus 3, uh, 5 and 6, 
there you have Moses before he asked him to show him his glory. Here, God tells him that he, that he is holy and he is to take off his sandals. That's uh, Exodus 3, verse 5. He said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Uh, there's a holiness of God stress, but he's also saying, I'm, I'm that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's who you can relate to. Later on, as we now tie that in to, what, chapter 34, uh, where he says, show me your glory. And, and before, he was so afraid of it, in, in, in the sense that he <laughs> did not want to even look at anything. Later, he does. The Father of glory. Uh, in Hebrews 12, 9, dealing with a father of something here. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more, much more readily be subjection to the father of spirits and live? So there we get father of spirits or... Um, uh, father of our spirits, uh, maybe it's it, it's contrasting human fathers though, and he's showing that he is uh, he has much more the right to be able to be the one that that disciplines. Uh, James, since you're in Hebrews, here's another father of one seventeen. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And to the Jewish people, they would understand that that would be speaking about, you think of the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the great creation that God has, and He is the Father of all of that. He's over all of that. And uh, so, anyway, that's how they would express what the Creator was like. So, this uh, this Father... Uh, we can actually know. And he's saying we can pray to Him. We are to pray to Him. He is the Father of glory. The very nature of God is glory, isn't it? That is His sum expression of all of His attributes. Add them all up. That's His glory. Uh, Stephen's preaching a great sermon in Acts 7. He addresses the uh, the crowd. History lesson. History This is, um, you have a high priest, and he asks Stephen here, are these things so? Uh, Stephen was accused of uh, doing some blasphemy. (laughs) And uh, Stephen says, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. The God of glory. That's a good way to start it off with, isn't it? That's how he spends his whole message here as he introduces them. This is the God of glory. Awesome majesty. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. A lot of times when when we're reading verses, we're looking at certain things, and there's other things that we are not trying to concentrate on the time, so we miss them. How many times have you read verses, and maybe a hundred 
200 times, and then you read it again, and you said, I never saw that there before. Has that ever happened? Quite frequently. <laughs> it does to me all the time. I go, my, why didn't I see that? Uh, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Have you heard of that phrase much before? There, now, thinking on his glory, that resurrection of Christ is by the glory of the Father. What glory it was, wasn't it? Resurrection. One of the greatest, glorious aspects that's ever happened. Do you think sometimes when we read those words, oh, it's God, and we just go on? Yeah. We don't really realize the depth of what was being said about God. We miss the, how much more there was that attribute. Oh, God, you know. Right. And sometimes we can even miss, we can say, okay, glory, fine. But you, you start thinking about that glory. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see things that are just something to brag about. And we tell people, man, you should have seen that. You should have been there. It was just really something. You know, I'm, we do that all the time, don't we? And that's, oh, it's okay. It's good. But, I mean, we really have something to brag about because we have a father of what? Glory that would eclipse any other thing that we've ever seen that's been just fantastic. Okay, but he's talking about some power here. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just, wow, look. So this glory is not just, wow. Yeah, it's oh, more... It's powerful. You can't even put it into words. I mean, you don't <laughs> raise somebody from the dead just because you look really good. Yeah. Wow. Takes in... Everything. Matter of fact, it takes in all of his attributes. The I mean, glory of God. Yeah. Takes in all of his. All of his attributes, all added together. The fount. He is the fount of all glory. Everything stems from him. Glory is the sum of all of his excellencies, all of his perfections, all of his characteristics or attributes. It's it's his very nature. If you add everything, uh, the ultimate characteristic of God is his glory. <laughs> What's that? You're blowing me away now. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when you think of glory and you see that shiny little halo, sun yeah. rays coming off his head and stuff, you know, glory, wow. But that's not what they're talking about here. This is, wow. This is, yeah, this is way yeah. more than. Good way to put it. Wow. It's it's there's an amazement here. We stand in amazement before the glory of the Father. We, we you know we've just seen just a, a slight glimpse of it, and in, in just looking at what He's done in our in our lives, looking at what He says in Scripture, uh, our physical eyes really haven't seen much, but our spiritual eyes are to be opened up to more and more to see this. Jonathan Edwards spoke so much about seeing God and seeing His glory. and He wasn't talking about these eyes, but he's talking about what Paul is saying here in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, being opened up even more. Like, tonight, my prayer would be that we'd all be able to see God in a little bit more powerful way than... We did before. So it's, it should be glowing and growing more and more constantly, just through His Word. You find it fleeting, though. You go, ooh, 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 and then you, and you move, and it goes away. It draws back or something like that. But you remember, you know there was something more there, but you just can't stay in that 
spot. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's kind of the way it was when Moses had the glory on him and he came down the mountain, and that's it was reality. so bright that uh, you know that it had to be there was a covering there, right? There was a veil, uh, but then it would it would go away. Yeah, uh, eventually that uh, we'll get to a point where the glory of God will uh, not kind of <laughs> fade, well, you know. It's like we get when we get on fire for the Lord, like even yeah. after a, you know, Monday night meeting like this, you know, and, and people are like, oh, I'll just settle down now. You know. <laughs> You're going a little, yeah, little too much here, right? I don't want you to be a fanatic or anything like that. <laughs> I don't do that fanaticism thing. Well, I'm still grappling with this idea that this power is now in me. Because I'm not seeing it. I'm getting over yourself. <laughs> I'm not seeing it. Yeah, but it's not about you. It's not about what you see. It's about the I mean, story. What is how, where, what am, how I it's functioning. It's inside you. That's the whole problem. But it's, it's in me. This it power. This is the big stuff. So we don't be talking about. I'm but it manifests itself in love. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> that's what everybody says about me. How do you answer that one? Without preaching, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, he does fight, fight me, what he's dealing with, which is the amazing part of Go to First Timothy one eleven. <laughs> According to the glorious, did you catch that? According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, Paul says. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, or it can be read and probably uh, be best read in out of the Greek in a literal sense, like this. According to the good news of the glory of the happy God. Good news of the glory of the blessed God. Good news of the glory of... Even though the gospel is glorious in the way that it's set up in the text, it's about the glory of the blessed God. So we're trying to stress there. Again, it's a... Father glory. Look in John seventeen twenty four. Uh, Jesus is praying. He's praying for the saints, praying for the the apostles, but praying for the whole church, praying for us, us as we sit here in the year two thousand ten. John seventeen twenty four. Jesus knew who we were. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. That's Jesus speaking to the Father and saying, I want them to be able to see my glory. Because when we see Christ... That's as good as we get as far as seeing the Father. He's the Father of us, you know. He is 
He is spirit, but this is how we get to God. And, of course, Christ is God, and that's another thought there, but that we would see, behold, to be amazed, to stare, to look upon His glory. Yeah. Well, you know me, I always bring up those denominational issues. Um, What about the oneness Pentecostals who believe that God cannot be manifest in three separate persons? Because, I mean, it's obvious from what we are studying here that he has manifested. I'm just asking about the oneness Pentecostals who believe that that, that God can, cannot be manifest in three separate persons. Okay. That that he is three, but he can't be three at the same time. Right. I mean, it's pretty obvious from all of these scriptures that we've looked at they don't believe in. They don't really believe in, in the Trinity, right? In, in the traditional, really. in the traditional Trinity. And here you have Jesus obviously praying to the Father at the same time, and they say the Father did it one time. Then there was the Son doing His thing. The Holy Spirit has done His thing, but they could never be all three existing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, right. Because I mean, because even even though we're we get the Holy Spirit. Jesus is interceding for us, which, that's separate. You know, he's interceding for us to the Father. I mean, I think a lot of work went into the doctrine of the Trinity. It is there, isn't it? Because, I mean, and so to just blow it off like that, I don't don't understand why more more than anything else, I guess. Well, they're diminishing what... um, the triune God is is about and, and His fullness. They're taking away, taking away His glory. There. There you go. That's all I wanted to hear. Hey, we, we've got it. I get the right answer. Do I get a hundred on that? No further okay. questions. Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, we stand in amazement again. Oh, Second Corinthians three eighteen. I know we go here a lot. I don't know why it is, but certain verses keep popping up all the time. But we all, with unveiled face, like the Hebrews, whenever they're in the tabernacle or they're in the what the synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath, it's it's stating in verse uh, verse fifteen, even to this day, when Moses is read, whenever the the law is read, in the, like in the synagogue, a veil lies on their heart. It covers over them. It's it's like a, a cataract over their eyes. And they can't see it, even though they hear the law read, the same law that we have, as far as the Old Testament is concerned. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you become a Christian, the blinders come off, just like they came off of Saul, who became Paul. Um, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're beholding it even now. Are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's why when you're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're being transformed and uh, you're going from glory to glory. You're seeing a little bit more aspect of, of who He is. You certainly know much more now than you did when you first became a Christian. And you desire Him more. You, you know, I mean, 
You want more of Him. You want to know more about who He is, really. You have all you need of Him, but yet you want to experience more, know more. You know what? When we go to prayer, when we go to prayer, individual prayer, we really need to expect the revelation of His glory. When you go to prayer, that's really what you... When you go into the Word of God, you should expect revelation of His glory. As it's stating here, unveil face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Glory to glory. God... What do you see in a mirror? Uh, what, yeah. What do you see yeah, say that again. You don't see anything yeah. else in a mirror. You see yourself. And that glory... The image, yeah. The image of that glory is supposed to be on you. So that, And so that's why it would compare with uh, the, uh, the glorious um, aspect that Moses had. That they had the veil. Yeah. When you, so when you look at this, we should be seeing more and more of Christ in us. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's really who we should be seeing. Sometimes, if we look at a physical mirror, I can see, <laughs> I can see a lot of... A lot, oh, I just take that mirror away. Yeah, Audrey. Okay, that reminds me of something that I thought was pretty profound that Robbie Zacharias said. I've heard him say it a few times. He talks about um, when the, uh, the Jews are trying to trap him in some way by uh, asking if they should pay taxes. And uh, so he asks them whose image is on the coin. And, uh, and of course, Caesar's and Christ says, well, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God. And, and Robert Zacharias said he always thought there should be a follow-up question and that question would be, and whose image is on you? And of course the answer to that is God. There we go. Render unto God. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Of course, what is the image that we are to have today. Even though we're not supposed to have idols, we still have to have the image, according to Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ, isn't it? So that's the image that we are to be bearing. Sometimes it may not appear as much. Yeah, yeah Bob. Uh, along that line, I'm looking at uh, Isaiah 60, verse 1, 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is here. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Mm. And my commentary says here, the false glories of mankind will finally fade away into nothingness they really are. Yeah. Because the... the uh... There's the contrast. God's glory shining on us, shining through us, you know, from a people-to-people standpoint, I guess. But so that's why when you get older and you look in the mirror, there's nothing <laughs> much to be looking at. You better just never see image you got. So <laughs> I was going to say, that you get that white hair, you look at it. Glory, I don't know. Elderly, yeah. <laughs> 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 
Does God keep uh, His glory to Himself? By looking at these verses, no. He shares His glory. He gives it to Jesus Christ. We being in Christ then have somewhat of that image. Yeah. According to that Isaiah 60 passage. It's amazing. He imparts His glory. Doesn't lose any of that glory, but this is this is what it's about. He's... Uh, well, what, the Romans 8... We have to go there. 829. <laughs> I don't know, we go there a lot too. Whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, oh, I missed it. To be conformed to the image of His Son. Why are we foreknown and predestined? to be conformed to the image of His Son. Just exactly what you guys were saying back there. <laughs> okay. Image of Christ. That's who we identify with. Well, that's a little bit about the Father of glory. Let's look at the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul is wanting them to know these things. How he grasped this was probably a lot more than what I'm catching here. I know. <laughs> As he's writing, of course, he's inspired by the Spirit, but he knows what he is speaking of here. Uh, he says, I, I give thanks for you, Ephesian people, and all of you. And I make mention of you in prayers all the time that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of glory, of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom. I want you to know. You already have wisdom from God. You have all the necessary things, but I want you to know what's under the hood <laughs> of this magnificent thing He has. Our supreme need, our ultimate supreme need is to know God. I mean, this is the goal. This is the very ends that it's about. And it's going to take an eternity to do that. But it's a good start right now, isn't it? Knowing knowing Him. That's why, and, and this is the way that um, the flesh is. The flesh wants to focus on self. We're so man-centered. Theology is so man-centered, so subjective. So what does it start with? Well, it starts with man and his needs. And that's why you get the, the felt needs type messages. And uh, sanctification messages, which are good. Don't cut down sanctification. <laughs> that's, that's definitely biblical. I don't take that away. But we don't start there. We always want to start with God. Uh, the person of God. Not, here are things, ten things that you need to change in your life. Whatever, you know. There's three ways you can make your finances better. Uh, John 17. Go back to that prayer again. And I think you know what it is. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they may know you. This is what life is all about. 
This is the ultimate end. This is the chief goal. This is the objective of it all, that we would know God. Well, as Christians, you do know God. You know the Father. And when you first become a Christian, basically it's like Dada or uh, Abba, you know. He's my Father. The Father loves me. And that's what you know at first. You know, I was a sinner. Uh, I've been forgiven. Those are basic things. But as you grow in grace and knowledge, you learn more about it. And that's what we want to continually do. On 2 Corinthians, which we read earlier, chapter 4, verse 6. I don't think we read it earlier. Good. Okay. He says, For it is the God who commanded light. Now, okay. I think that says something. We've got to have to stop there. This is the God who commanded light. He said, let there be light. There's the power that he's talking about. The resurrection power of Christ. Or, let there be light. And boom, the light came on in creation. Okay, this same God who commanded that light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. He took dark hearts. We were dead. And all of a sudden, He shines the light in us. And we come on. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's shown in our hearts the knowledge about this glory of God. And it's all dealing with the with Christ. That's how it's able to do. We must understand that the glory of God shown in Jesus Christ. And this is the theme of all throughout the Scripture. And uh, this is where we, we see that glory. Well, let's go to Job, way back in the Old Testament, just in case somebody said, well, that's just New Testament teaching. What about Job? What Job say? Well, this is just Old Testament teaching. Yeah, yeah, this is just Old Testament here. <laughs> That's the that's old school. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What's happening here? We're right at the end of Job, and God has been saying, "Where were you when I created Leviathan? And where were you when I created the behemoth? And all the the deeps and all the things of the earth, all about creation. Where were you when I did that?" And of course. Job, you know, is my he's blown away, and and he has the eyes of faith here. He had never really grasped this kind of greatness and majesty of God. I mean, he was a godly man. He he knew God, but now he sees the sovereignty of God and and the whole majesty of the greatness of God, the glory of God, and like he hadn't before. And he says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. What did he say then? Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Forgive me for all those thoughts I had. Yeah. Bill. He had such a healthy fear of God that he actually didn't he offer sacrifices for his children. Mm. His children were a little bit... Right, he interceded for them. Center, yeah. 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 Very godly man. And yet he is saying that. Yeah. Psalm 42. Well, he did just get told and scalded by God himself. I'm just saying, 
What else are you going to say? <laughs> well, no, but he was doing that beforehand, you know, when they were partying and everything, and he was just like, you know, I mean, he had that fear even before the whole incident with the pottery. God just uh, right. kind of gave him a glimpse and I gave him a more view. The class over. Uh, we're in Psalm 42. Psalm uh, 42, 1 and 2. What do we have there? You guys know this, right? We could sing this probably. As the deer pants for the water brooks, soul pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Seeking after God. Going after Him. Knowing Him. That's, again, a same kind of thought. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Going after God, knowing God. Jesus says this All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And catch this and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. I like that last phrase, don't you guys? <laughs> I like it all. But, uh, and I really wasn't trying to pinpoint that last one, but the only way we can know the Father is through the Son. The only way we can know the Son is by what the Father has done, and it's because it's the Son wills to reveal the Father to us. If you're the elect, predestined one, you get quite the revelation of the Father of glory. John 14. Twenty-three. Jesus answered and said to him, this is uh, Judas, answer him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is my word, but really, no, it's the Father's word who's given it to me. He's saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll keep my word. And what happens is, uh, the sense is, is that He is residing in us. He makes His home. Not a house, but a, a home. He resides. He takes comfort living in us. Hmm. That's what a true believer is. So man's troubles are really the fact that he is ignorant of God. But when we know God and we know how God responds, then we should respond accordingly when we know how He thinks. We, we need to know God's attributes, for one thing. That's one thing about having knowledge of God. Uh, the idea of the uh, omnipresence, omniscience, the omnipotence, our omnipotence. Um, uh, what, the love, grace, mercy, His uh, justice. Go on and on with those. Yes. 
we, we also have to be very careful about this section here about revelation, that it, that it isn't new revelation, because every all revelation is right here, that it's, you know, that it's revelation that will be given to us that's already in the Word. Yep. In the knowledge of yeah. Him. Yeah. Because there are those who think that they're getting something fresh from God. You know, something that and may not be anywhere near what right. this says. So be careful, right? So, uh, and and that's that's where everything's going to come from. I mean, the authority of the Word of God. Uh, this this is where all the truth is going to come from, rather than just. And there is the subjective aspect here. The the two are combined. The, uh, the Puritans, Puritans constantly preach the attributes. Uh, if you look at their messages, their sermons, how often do they have uh, the majesty of God, the excellencies, the, uh, the perfections of God, all those things that we think of uh, in His greatness. And that's very important. And we, and we must always put those in there. I mean, that's it's who God is. That's theoretical. Uh, in this, it's intellectual knowledge. And that's that's very good. We have to have that. But what he is moving towards here, if there's there's a knowledge that Paul is talking about that even goes beyond just knowing about him, because one can know about God and yet fall short. The demons believe in God. Do they believe in His attributes? You know it. They were there. They saw Him. They know He's. They know about His great power. But and that's why they shudder. They're 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 fearful. They tremble. Because they know about that, but uh, they're not saved. Those those demons are not. But that's the kind of knowledge they have. So we want to be careful just about having knowledge of those. So we can say, well, how can one come to know God? I study the attributes, then uh, does that mean I still don't know Him? Well, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is the answer. And of course, it's going to be here. And uh, it definitely starts with here. Um, spirit of wisdom. The, the idea of spirit... Numa, and he uses that. Um, two different routes we can go with this. In your translations, you'll probably have a little s, the spirit of wisdom. That's the way that most will, most of the commentators will say that that is what that is. It's not um, uh, necessarily the Holy Spirit. Then you'll have others who will say, well, that is. That's really. Uh, it's not. Uh, a capital S, but it really does mean the Holy Spirit. Uh, I tend to favor that it, it is the with the small s, in that it means like an attitude, a disposition, um, a position of it, a, a spirit of wisdom. Hey, we have a spirit of of what joy here tonight. Let's say we have a a spirit of whatever that that kind of thought. I mean, it, and ultimately the Holy Spirit's always involved. He's already he sealed us. Um, you know he's guaranteed us right, and uh, he's the one who gives us uh, revelation. He's the one who gives us wisdom. But I think it might be attitude, a disposition of um, uh, Matthew five, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, in that kind of attitude, the way they're thinking. You know, uh, it can go either way. Uh, John four twenty four. We worship in. Spirit and truth. Uh, it's not just you know physical sense. Uh, moving on, the spirit of wisdom, and the word there is something we're probably familiar with, Sophia, and not Lauren. I'm showing my age. 
that's that's uh, wisdom. And the wisdom here, I think we probably go to Proverbs quite a bit for this. Proverbs nine. could be uh, one of them. Uh, um, 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, wisdom is, it goes beyond just intellectual knowledge. It goes beyond having just knowing uh, a, a truth about something, but it's having a, a full fellowship with God. Um, Using the wisdom, using the knowledge that we have, being able to put it in our lives, and and in this case, it would be talking about ha- having the spirit of wisdom, uh, and it's dealing with the knowledge of Him. That's what the phrase is in verse 17. Uh, having an encounter with God, a personal, intimate knowledge of God, really personal, very intimate, um, or to know something of His glory, personally of of who He is. Uh, you guys remember an old book, uh, Practice of the Presence of uh, God? Uh, it's by, uh, who's that? Brother Lawrence. And he was stressing some things. One of them is, like, you can even uh, know the glory of God even when you're washing the dishes. Even the mundane things, right? Whether you eat or drink, the Scripture says in Romans 10. Is that Romans 10? That's right. It's probably not. But anyway, his presence should happen in any place that we would be. Rec- just recognize Him, His uh, being God-conscious, right? So that that's kind of the idea of the spirit of wisdom. What about Revelation? Uh, Bill, you are talking about that. Revelation and the knowledge of Him. How else can we know about God other than that He's truth? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The word for revelation is apocalypsis. Or, a lot of people are familiar with the apocalypse, right? That's And some Bibles will have that. I've looked in Catholic Bibles and it's called the Apocalypse of John. Or, in the way that we, most of our Bibles have it, the Revelation of John. It's not really, it's really the Revelation of Christ. <laughs> I think it's probably a more proper way to put it because it's showing Christ is there. But, revealing, uh, unveiling, t- tearing back the, the curtain. Uh, uncovering. And so, uh, when you think of this, you think of, uh, we have curtains over our spiritual eyes. Cataracts. You've heard of cataracts. Cataract surgery, and they remove those cataracts, and people can all of a sudden see that they weren't seeing before. Uh, That's kind of the idea here, that uh, revealing uh, something to us. God imparting knowledge to us that we didn't know before. Have to think of First Corinthians two. There's another one we go to quite frequently. <laughs> can't can't seem to keep to, or to stay away from there. First Corinthians two ten. But God has revealed them to us. We're talking about the the great truths of God, the great things of God. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. God just unveils, takes back the curtain, and brings in things about who He is as we 
study who he is. He and, uh, is bringing forth uh, these truths, unveiling. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Did we go there yet? I don't think so. Now, this is coming from a negative aspect. We were in 3.18 earlier, but it says here, but their minds, talking about the children of Israel, uh, Moses, you know, and they put the veil over uh, his face, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the veil taken away. He reveals that to us. And then 4.6, which we were at there earlier again, He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Holy Spirit opens it up, tears back the curtain, the light comes in, we see something. Hmm. Now, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here, it's dealing with uh, the heart, the eyes or the heart or the very center of Knowledge. It's the center of your mind and your will. So when he speaks of the eyes of your understanding, it's 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 the heart or the seat of the mind and the will. That, that, that's the way that the Greek would think of it whenever they would use the word for uh, um, this sense here, this understanding and the heart. Enlightened, the Emmaus disciples. Remember them. God takes back that curtain there, enlightens them, something they couldn't understand before. Luke 24. There they were. They were actually disciples, the Emmaus disciples. They had followed. They had learned from Christ. They knew who He was. They'd been around Him physically. And so He started talking about... Pick it up in verse 25. Then He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Don't you know that? <laughs> and beginning at Moses, beginning with the law, and all the prophets, sounds like the Old Testament, doesn't it? He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. <laughs> Can you imagine listening to Jesus Christ talking about who He is and going through the very Word then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated that he had gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. The day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now, they were just eating it up as he was explaining all the Old Testament. And for the first time, it was like the light really turned on. They had 
a reading of it before and, and have heard of some of those things, but to put them together, I mean, Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Wow. All of a sudden it came on. Were they enlightened? And this is what happens to us when we take the Word of God and it says in Colossians 3.16 that the Word of God is to uh, indwell in us. Right? He lives in us as we take passages of Scripture, meditate on them, think on them. The Holy Spirit then works in the believer's mind and He enriches that mind to be able to understand now some deeper things of what God had in mind. The deep and profound things. And He relates that truth to life. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. Oh, by the way, here's what the Holy Spirit is doing in 1 John 2. Even, even right right tonight, you'd like to think this is what He's doing because my words, or anything that we say, really is uh, in and of itself of, of no power. But when the Holy Spirit is making effect and He takes the Word and then He enlightens us in verse 20, 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Then you skip down to, is that verse 27? But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Anointing is there as the Spirit of God. That's why we can know these profound, deep things of God. One other thing. The hope of His calling. The hope of His calling. God not only chose you just to save you, did He? Not just to forgive you and just to justify you, but He chose to save you eons ago, before you existed. And eons before you'd have the opportunity by His grace to choose Him. And He chose that we would know Him intimately. And until we comprehend really who uh, Christ is, it's impossible to live an obedient life. I mean, it, it is possible. We have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, but until we know who He is and know what His Word is saying, it's, it's like, you know, how else can we be obedient until we know who He is? Well, at the very moment we become Christians, we become obedient. But the more that we know Christ, the more that then we see that we want to be obedient even more. That such a desire is there. Um, it's fulfilling. The obedient life is now fulfilling. It's, it's even much more than, than before. Uh, when we realize that we've been called to those things and for these things, you think of Romans 8.29, uh, predestined, uh, elected, chosen, what have you, uh, and then, then called. It's the effectual calling. Effectual. There's a general call to everybody, then there's the effectual call to the ones that He chose for the, the world to bring to Himself, through His Son, the making of His children. We have a heavenly calling, we have a holy calling, 
and we have one last statement here. What are the riches of the glory? Remember the, the Father of glory? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? We've already seen the inheritance, the riches before in Ephesians. Paul is expounding on it even more. The prayer is that they'd be enlightened to understand the great truths. Go back in chapter 1. What did, we, what, what did we see? Election. Predestination. Adoption. Forgiveness. Um, um, Jesus Christ is what? The Redeemer. Right? We've been redeemed. Uh, wisdom. Insight. Um, inheritance. Uh, Holy Spirit. Sealing. The pledging. Um, you know what Richard Baxter said on something like this? My knowledge of that kind of life is small. Richard Baxter, uh, during the Puritan days, the eye of faith is dim. <laughs> if we think of all of the greats that he has, and we try to get, what is it all? <laughs> we try to get it all together, and, and, and we don't. That's why in Second Corinthians 12, 3 and 4, Paul said this whenever he went to the third heaven, actually experienced it there, saw heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he is caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He heard things that he couldn't even write here for us. Matter of fact, he couldn't if he wanted to. What, what kind of words were they? inexpressible. What does that mean? You can't, you can't put it in language, in our limited human language, no matter how many languages you want. Close it out for 1 John 3, 2. It's what we have to look forward to as we've seen all the blessings we have now. Beloved, now we are children of God. Children of God. How about... God of glory, the Father of glory. We're children of Him. And it has not yet been revealed. He's revealing things to us right now. But it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know, we do know this, when He is revealed, apocalypse is here, and that veil is taken totally off as far as the physical aspect is concerned, we shall be like Him. Perfect image. For we shall see Him as He is. 